Hey, Dan. Rob, how you doing today? I'm awesome. How are you? I'm good. So as always, we're going to start with an intro. This one's a little longer, a little different. We can edit I it out. I hope it's different. That's it's, all I it, can it, say. Well, I'm going to try something different too. I'm actually going to share my screen because you keep on getting over me for uh, the sound quality where it's not the sound quality of what I produced. It's the sound quality coming through to you. So let's, let's okay. try this. Well, I'm glad you're sharing the screen on a podcast. <laughs> all right, here we go. We meet in an hour of change and challenge, in a decade of hope and fear, in an age of both knowledge and ignorance. The greater our knowledge increases, the greater our ignorance unfolds. No man can fully grasp how far and how fast we have come. But condense, if you will, the 50,000 years of man's recorded history in a time span of but a half a century. Stated in these terms, we know very little about the first 40 years, except at the end of them, advanced man had learned to use the skins of animals to cover them. Then about 10 years ago, under this standard, man emerged from his caves to construct other kinds of shelter. Only five years ago, man learned to write use a cart with wheels. Christianity began less than two years ago. The printing press came this year. And then less than two months ago, during this whole 50-year span of human history, the steam engine provided a new source of power. Newton explored the meaning of gravity. Last month, electric lights and telephones and automobiles airplanes became available. Only last week did we develop penicillin and television and nuclear power. This is a breathtaking pace. And such a pace cannot help but create new ills as it dispels old. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer to rest, to wait. If this capsule history of our progress teaches us anything, it is that man in his quest for knowledge and progress is determined and cannot be deterred. We shall send to the moon, 240,000 miles away, a giant rocket more than 300 feet tall on an untried mission to an unknown celestial body and then return it safely to Earth. But why, some say, the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why, 35 years ago, fly the Atlantic? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone. And therefore, as we set sail, we ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous greatest adventure of what man has ever embarked. So I have to give credit to the Festival of Curiosity for that. I did not put that together. But so that is Art of the Possible at its best, right? It is. It's uh, JFK is a remarkable speaker. He gives me goosebumps. That is amazing. We do things not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And we choose. We choose. I thought we choose, I think, too, I think was like really interesting. Now, it's a little long for a pre-roll, but uh, it definitely captures the gist. It captures the gist. And the question I have for you is, where were you during this speech? Where were you when this was was given? (laughs) Oh, you're a funny man. I I am. Yep. I am. So yep. what, like a couple things before we get to um, our, our honored guest here is 
you know, you kind of called it out. We do it because it is hard. And there's a great book by Ozan Veral called Think Like a Rocket Scientist, which I suggest everybody read. I'd love to get him onto the podcast. And in that book, he was a NASA scientist. He worked on the one of the Mars rover programs. And he's like, when he gave that speech, there were medals needed to go to the moon on that spacecraft that had not been discovered yet. So yeah, in no, those, I mean, it's unbelievable. It I mean, is it, unbelievable. It is so unbelievable. I, and so I think it relates to this like podcast in general, like are the possible and like why we want to do it. And then we think about, you know, Danny Nuremberg, who we spoke with around food of like, like what challenges do we need to have for ourselves around food? What challenges do we need to have for ourselves around climate? What challenges related to Michael Slaby do we need to have around politics and civic engagement? I mean, it, it goes all the way back to that comment we were having around, can we have these JFKs, these MLKs, these Gandhis that can set these goals for us so that aren't just destroyed and ripped down immediately, but literally make you feel like, Friday night lights in the locker room with Al Pacino giving the, you know, the speech and then like running out of the tunnel wanting to like go just get it done and run through a brick wall. No, it's, 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 um, it's inspiring. And sadly, I can't remember a politician that was inspiring like that. Um, so I love it. We need to figure out how to can it into a pre-roll and the, the, uh, a famous person once said, the thinking that got you here is not going to get you there. And it's, it's related to food and it's related to the subject of today. And that is, which is a derivative of our conversation with Slaby. How do we move forward with media? We can't see the next step we take is not going to suddenly cure conspiracy theories, but it's three steps and we've, we've got to, we've got to have new thinking. And with that, I'm delighted to bring uh, our guest for today. Uh, Jake Polsko is currently the Chief Digital Officer at Connecticut Public. He and I met years ago uh, when I was selling software to newspapers. And um, he is a rare guy in that he understands the business of media and the civic value of it. And, to and he, do he, both, to, he tolerated you for he, a little he while? He tolerated me, okay. yes. Uh, so uh, he joined uh, Connecticut Public Radio in May of 2019 to help build the digital media infrastructure. And uh, before that, he had these leadership roles with Gatehouse Media, ran a big chunk of that, Calkins Media in Paxton. And Jake has this sense that thriving local journalism is essential to society. And he's dedicated his career to finding revenue models to support it. And that is such, that's so key, right? Uh, we can't, this isn't a, a non-for-profit. We've got to make money. We've got to, we've got to pay for investigative journalism. And he's passionate about it. Most importantly, awesome. passionate about sort of online subscription models. Uh, and he's launched a bunch of successful ones. So, uh, I'm delighted to have, uh, Jake here. Uh, Jake, welcome to the podcast and, uh, Dan meet Jake, Jake meet Dan. Hello. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, Rob, Dan. Great, great to meet you. I think, uh, uh, Rob, last time I saw you in person, not this obviously isn't in person, was in a, uh, a cab in, uh, in New York city after some conference. I don't even remember what it was, but, um, I'm sure it was media related at the time. It was. I do believe it was Gordon Burrell's local media conference at the Hyatt by Grand Central. Wow, that is incredible memory. Yeah. So this this coincidentally, this day last year, I was at Gordon Burrell's conference in Miami, and it's basically the last place I've been in a year. So I. <laughs> Wow! Talk about coming full circle. This right? is uh, perfect timing. I think perfect the important the important question is: Rob made you pay for that cab ride too, right? Uh, oh yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, and he made me give a hundred percent tip. So, <laughs> uh, so Jake, give it. You know, other other than oh, I missed a huge part of this. You're on the board at Local Media Association, which is the trade group for all the things that you're passionate about. Tell us a little bit about LMA. They work with a lot of local media companies, obviously, local media association, and they're really passionate about what I am. And it's trying to find new revenue models for uh, for local media 
And when I'm talking about local media here in a lot of this conversation, I think it'll be true local media. People will seem to confuse. They, they start thinking that something like, you know, somehow the New York Times is local media or Washington Post or even the L.A. Times. And I'm talking small to mid-sized publishers. I mean, at this point, is that a circulation of 5,000, 10,000 or local TV stations? Um, but they're really committed to finding revenue models for those folks, whether it's um, subscription models, which I'm pass- passionate about, or branded content mo- models, sponsorship, uh, sponsor content, and uh, digital services uh, for uh, for local businesses. Awesome. So the um, if you if you were lucky enough to take in the Slaby uh, episode, we were talking about. Uh, social media and how it sort of gets a life of its own and takes on some momentum that is unpredictable. And the insatiable desire for larger audiences has allowed for the invention of algorithms that keep things sticky and keep you monotopical, which just is an echo chamber. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Um, it, obviously it's gotten a lot of, uh, that, that's gotten a lot of publicity over the last, uh, say five years. Um, it's been a problem, uh, I think, uh, longer than that. Although I probably just showed my hand there calling it a problem. Um, but I, I, I will say, I think the net social media, digital media, internet, I think the net gain is a positive for society. I actually think that the, the incentives are misaligned. When, when you think about it and um, the incentive is around advertising, the advertising model um, demands more, uh, more engagement, stickier content and algorithms are built around that. I think if you were to build and go back, you were to build an algorithm around um, what actually is important for a community and i think each community is kind of its uh its own beast but in the economy of scale of the internet that's that's so hard to do um so i i think that amongst publishers algorithms probably have a bad rap and i include broadcasters in that too um but i i think overall they they can be used for good you know, it's kind of like AI. Absolutely. It's a great way to put it. Good and bad. So just a question on that too. I think the, when we think, when you think local, like in, in Rob mentioned and you, in, in Jake, you did too around echo chambers, right? I think that's one of the big problems with social media is that you end up in this kind of echo, you know, this bubble, but it just echoes the perceptions and the, the beliefs that you want to believe, right. That you already believe and just reinforces them, whether or not they're, True, positive, etc. How does how does local media differ from that? Like in a way, like in local media, you have like smaller populations, right? So I have Glen Allen, Virginia, and you know it might have a specific kind of political bent, and you know that might be more Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or whatever. Um, how does almost is local media almost its own eco, uh, echo chamber as well, or how is it different than that social media problem? I think I, I do think it becomes its own uh, own echo chamber, and I think having a, a large conglomerate over it, say a uh, a Gannett or the former the the, the Gay House um, or Nextstar or whatever it is, uh, or Sinclair, and broadcast, I think that creates its own echo chamber too. But locally, uh, when I was at a very small newspaper in in Western North Carolina, that that community had its own echo chamber. So while we're, we're publishing the truth, we're publishing facts at the same time, you have to consider what that community, uh, what, what that community believes, uh, what that community values. Um, that's different than I'm in uh, a little town called Schwanksville, Pennsylvania right now. Yeah. Schwanky. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, what, what a local publisher here would publish is going to be vastly different from that, um, that publisher in North Carolina, but at the same time, they're both striving for the same thing to give facts, to give truth and to try to give both sides of an argument, even if that community doesn't 
doesn't necessarily want to hear it. So at least in, in, um, and I, I think ethical media is probably maybe a good way to put it. You're trying to give both sides of that argument so that you don't get caught in a complete echo chamber, but you still do have those community values that kind of push back against whatever the opposite side might be. Yeah, I think the, the, diff- the, the thing with Facebook is that it algorithmically, algorithmically composes audience. So it's like taking every seventh person from Forest City, all the people who hate the new school plan and putting them in a room together. And traditional media can't do that, right? You can't algo an audience. And that, that's where the echoes come from. You know, one of the things we were talking about with Slaby too was, um, you know, these conspiracy theories. And it occurred to me that in the last five years, it's become acute, but it's been happening. It was happening before then. There is no more. There's no such thing as shared truth anymore. There's a there's a guy in Southern California that goes up and down the boardwalk and asks people how many states there are. You know, when was Canada made the fifty second state? Silly things, and it's shocking to me how many people. Are, are into it. Like, oh, I think we did that last year. Uh, how many stars are on the flag? 13. I mean, so where, when did we lose? Do we ever have shared truth? Do we have it now? And if we don't, when did we lose it? Man, um, I, I, I listened to a, a few um, history type podcasts and I think the question of whether we have ever had a shared truth as, as a society in America is, is a good one. And I want to say, you know, in my heart of hearts, I want to say, yeah, of course we had a shared truth. <clears throat> but when I listen to history and you, you look at uh, the, the people who owned media at the turn of uh, the century in, in the 1900s, so much was so much that was put into that was partisan on purpose. I mean, newspapers were launched in those days specifically to to put out uh, um, your side of an argument. So I don't know if we ever had a shared truth, um, at least at large. I think that the the society we built. Um, probably learned how to tolerate um, truths that were different. Um, and I think now we're at a point in our evolution, we're at a point with knowledge and information where it's just so widely available that I, you read something about how people believe that, you know, the, the, the government is run by reptilians. And I think, oh my gosh, that, how, how could anybody believe that? But people do, and that's, I mean, you, you read about the, uh, the, the man who set the bomb off on, uh, on Christmas Day, and that was something he wrote about. And so it is impactful. Um, I, I, I just, I don't know, though, if that we ever had a shared truth as a society. Um, and, you know. So I, what's, I, different, what's different between then and now? Because clearly we don't have a shared truth now you you see pictures of the national mall and there you know there were a trillion people but pictures don't show it and yet if you ask people there were a trillion people and that's the kind of stuff that creates um fractions yeah. in our population i think before um define it how how you want i suppose um, if you had a shared truth with a group of people, it was very hard to find those people. So in a way, you you felt alone all the time with that, whatever that shared truth was. Now, because of algorithms, because of digital, it is so easy to feel like I, I am one of a million, even if you're not. Um, even if most of the people following you are bots and are just liking you because of that, you feel like that this is a shared truth with 
with a hundred million people and, and, or whatever, whatever the number is, I really, I, I think it's that, you know, the, this feeling become truth, which becomes reality. Um, and I, I really think that, that, that plays into it more than, um, more, more than we, more than we realize, you know, yeah. there's, um, I'm listening to a book now by Annie Duke called thinking in bets, which is, I highly recommend. And there's two things she talks about related to this. One is, and she, so she has an interesting history. She was, you know, getting her PhD, I think it in UPenn in, in psychology, um, in behavioral science, something, she got sick. She couldn't get her, you know, finish her dissertation, moved out to Montana and for the next 20 years was a poker champion. Um, right. And so that's her whole thing. So she has this amazing background in psychology and how humans think. And then she used like the poker table and environment by which to assess like how humans think it's, it's a pretty, it's fantastic. But you know, she says two things. One is we have our beliefs and then something happens, right? Something happens. Um, and then you're like, uh, so something happens. Then you say, yes, I believe that's true. And then you go look for the facts, right? That's actually how the brain works. We think the brain, we think we say something happens, we go kind of assess the facts and then we figure out whether it's true or not. But the way the brain is kind of evolved has been like out of just survival of it happens. I hear a rustle. I hear a rustle in the grass. It must be a lion. I should run. And then you come back later and be like, oh, it's just the wind. Right. Um, and so you see why this is a big problem, right? Where it's like uh, something, you know, you know, I think we're all thinking politics or it's like, you know, a presidential candidate says this, it must be true. And then we just never get around to going to Google and figuring out if it was true or not. Right. We just take our beliefs as true. And we just reinforce, continuously reinforce, reinforce that. And, and she uses a couple of examples in the sense that, I'm a huge baseball fan. I always like Abner Doubleday invented baseball, was involved in it. No, he wasn't. Was never involved with baseball. Nothing to do with baseball whatsoever, right? Um, ball, I'm bald because my grandfather on my mom's side was bald. He was bald, but that's not actually genetically true, right? And then, you know, dogs, you know, dogs are, you know, humans times seven. Like, no, that was completely, completely made up. We use 10% of our brains. Nope, sorry. That was actually used to sell self-help books at some point, right? So there's all of these things that we take culturally almost as, as truths, but we never go out and figure out if they're true or not. And it's true on whatever side of the aisle that you're on. But, but don't we have an obligation to do that? This comes back to a conversation you and I have had a lot of uh, – many times, and that is the – whether independent of whether you are self-critical about your beliefs – Everyone's got a vote. The people who think that the Congress is full of reptiles get a vote. The people who study civics and history get a vote. That's difficult to think about, isn't it? Well, this is why I want you to read this book, Mr. Rob Page. Because she actually goes into this. And so there's two concepts in this book. And I'm sorry to sidetrack this conversation. But um, one is she talks about resulting. Right, which is a, my new favorite concept, and she's like, you have to separate the quality of the decision that you made from the quality of the result that you get, because you could have pocket aces at the blackjack table and lose, and lose. So you better not learn from the result and be like, well, I'm going to fold on pocket aces, right? Um, so that's the number one. And I'm going to forget the term and I'll see if I can find it. And this is the problem with listening to books and not reading them. So I don't have a book to look it up. But the, it kind of gets to the whole uh, kind of rein, it, re, reinforcing your beliefs. The smarter you are, the more likely you are to have these blind spots. So, you know, and we can talk about this on another podcast and I can kind of like kind of we can dive deeper into it. But I think the education piece is really important because I know you want a civics test for everyone to pass. I'd call that a poll test, but in order to vote, right? But there's a, you know, I, I see a lot of, you know, there's a lot of issues with that, but I don't even, she's basically saying that's actually not even going to solve your problem. Fair enough. But I just learned why you don't have any blind spots. Ah, you learn something every day. 
Jake, well, I have, I do, I do, I literally have a blind spot. Like I said, on a pre, I have glaucoma, which I'm going to bring oh. up on every podcast. <laughs> so I actually Way to go low, it's right up here. Way to go low, right up here. Way to go low, Jake. Um, is there such a thing as trusted media? I, th- I think there is. I, I hope there is. Um, I, I think that. Um, um, mainstream media, your CNN, your Fox, your New York Times, they they take up so much of the oxygen. And and you t- when you think about trusted media and media is not trusted, that's kind of what I think about because their agendas are so strong and there's so much money that, that is involved there. But again, thinking about a local media organization, uh, I, I do think that, that they are trusted. Um, I, 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 you know, uh, statistically you look at polls and different things like that. They are more trusted than, than most media out there, your, your local media organizations. Um, and just in my experience in being with them, the passion that a community feels for it, you, you know, that it's trusted. Now there are those who don't trust it, but you know, we've established that not everybody's going to think about everything the same. Um, and, you know, I guess to put a plug out there for our our affiliates of NPR and PBS for Connecticut Public, you, we, we see time and again, I think it's something like uh, 70%, 71% of, uh, of news consuming adults. It's something like that, but trust PBS uh, for their news, specifically something like a news hour. So it it is, it is out there. Um, I think that it just doesn't get it just doesn't get the oxygen that that some of these larger ones that some of these larger ones do. It is something that though media needs to do a better job at at reminding people that they're trusted and not just with slogans and and other BS. It's they they've got to they've got to do it. They've got to live it. They've got to show it. Um, and however their community wants to accept that, really. What I, what I hear in that, Jake, a little bit is accessibility, right? In the sense of like, because they almost have to live and eat and work and breathe amongst the people that they're writing for and, and sharing with, it seems to be that accessibility and that accountability kind of go hand in hand. Is that is that part of the, the thinking on it? I, I think so, especially, yeah, in, in local media. And um I think there there is a downside to that too because you have to see these people. It's sometimes hard to to hold them to uh, to truth, you know, to say, uh, "Hey, Mister Commissioner, um, you lied about this in, in a story," and then you're at a uh, at your kids' breakfast or kids' school <laughs> breakfast with them, and it gets a little awkward. But in a local <clears throat> community, I found that. You understand those relationships because you do have to still live with that person and you have to sell Girl Scout cookies to them and all those other things. And it and it it forces um, it, it forces forces cooperation in a way that mainstream media absolutely cannot. You know, it's it, it, to me, it feels like um, when what are they? They there are all these in the eighties when um, somebody on the right and somebody on the left, they they'd have dinner together and they don't do that anymore in a local community. You always do that politics, uh, beliefs, religion, all that aside, you have to, you have to trust one another. Well, it, it's kind of like conflict now in politics is like, it's conflicts bad. And like if, if I'm in conflict with you, I'm not going to talk to you, but I uh, love what you're saying. Cause in a local environment, like conflict's part of life. Conflict's part of every relationship. And so you, you know, it, it kind of normalizes conflict and makes it acceptable of like, listen, you know, I have to deal with Rob Page every day. We had a pretty surly day today too. So like we had some conflict today, but I was willing to come on this podcast out of, out of respect for you, Jake. So oh, thank you. Thank you. We're, we're honored. <laughs> so uh, Jake, the, the note. So first of all, I love this notion that, uh, Marginal ideas are very easily reinforced. I mean, I hate the notion, but I love the revelation that marginal ideas are reinforced very easily with these algorithms. So you can think that reptiles are in Congress and 
two, you are two clicks away from five more and four clicks away from 50 more and so on. So, and yet I know firsthand that making a uh, going concern out of local media is wickedly difficult. Part of that is Amazon's fault. If you're king for a day, how do we fix this? Um, if I'm king for a day, how do I fix this? I think I'll, I'll give you a year. I'll take I, a whole year. You give me a year. All right. All right. Um, I, what I think I would do is I would figure out a way to eliminate programmatic impression based advertising. It, it, that removes the incentive for algorithms to be so powerful so that when I'm on Facebook, I can just say, show me the most recent updates. I don't want what is going to drive the most advertising revenue for, for your business and in turn make the most money for your stockholders because that's really all they're doing. They don't care about society. If you, if you flip that on its head and you sell advertising around value of audience, around, um, like, like we used to around whether it can actually generate leads for your business or business or not. I think it disincentivizes or it, it, it dis- disincentivizes algorithms and reincentivizes quality engagement. Uh, I, I just think that is so important that, that I think that helps to solve the problem on Facebook and Twitter and, uh, and, and even Google you know, in, in their search algorithms. And even I, I know they changed recently, but at the same time, they're still, you know, they're still going to be incentivized for the most clicks, not and, necessarily the right information. And so the getting rid of those sort of blind impression-based things, uh, I think is great. There's a famous quote though, that haunts advertisers, the aver- or advertising providers, the advertiser saying, I don't know which half of my spend I'm wasting. So what's the state of the art in terms of correlating ad spend with results? Because to get that plumber or the camera shop or the bike shop, if you can, and this has been the Holy Grail, you give Jake $2 and your cash register rings with six. Mm-hmm. That's still tough to do. But we're also assuming the advertising is the right way to monetize news. Ah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think two things. I that the you know the the 50/50 rule or, or 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 thought whatever whatever it's called i would argue now that that's even worse i, I mean you you we we all know if i get a if i get a million ad ad impressions and and, and it's 5 dollars 1000 whatever that happens to be I, i'm happy with a, a half a percent of a click through you know that's that, that you're you're wasting more than 50% now you might be wasting 90% but you got a million impressions. I just, you know, so, um, and I do think that, uh, to, to Dan's point there, um, I believe in another way, other, uh, revenue way sources to support local news. And I think that, um, that you have philanthropy, you have, um, you have subscription revenue, you have membership revenue, um, there, there, there are a lot of ways to do it that don't necessarily involve advertising. And, <clears throat> and I think you can still get support from local businesses. Local businesses will support local news that they believe in. Um, it's just going to have to be, uh, it's going to have to be different. Um, yeah. And we just need to, you know, uh, the, the, the quote from JFK, uh, we do it because it's hard. And I, I, this was perfect for, for me being on here is the perfect quote. Cause I often say some version of that, to folks, that's why I like being in media. I go into it every single day. I know my challenge today is going to be hard, but I absolutely love it. That's and, awesome. and that's why I do it. Well, and, and I love that. And I think, and thank you for doing it. Number one, I think the, the, so let's, the challenge is this, and this is why it's so hard. Because I totally agree with you. I was driving my boys to school. I think it was yesterday, and we were listening to NPR was on, 
And then the NPR like donation drive thing came on. I go, oh my God. I'm like, I will give, but why do you have to ruin a week of radio, you know, of my drives to work for this? There's got to be a better way, right? So there is a better way. We just got to find it. Um, but so I guess the, in the, like, I don't know if we're going to answer this question, but it's, this is the art of the possible question. If we can, even if we fix local media or media in general, and we get to a point where there's true news, where it's news, there's still going to be uh newstainment or however, like whatever that word is. Right. So that's, you know, whether that's CNN or Fox news or whatever that might be, that's more entertainment than news living alongside of it. Right. And I know Rob, you love regulating things because that's kind of your core belief, but like, how do you like, because that's always going to be more attractive. It's all it can, at a at a like a genetic like human level, like that's always going to be more appealing. You're or kidding me about the regulation, right? Oh, did I? If I misread you through all these years, you are wearing a red shirt right now. <laughs> right. Good point. The notions about applications on your phone being driven to drop dopamine into your bloodstream are maybe more evil than impression-based advertising. To, to rely on brain chemistry to pump profits is craziness. And that's the thing that local media can't compete with, right? That there was a notion a while back, a guy I know, Howard Owens, was trying to create a open source platform that was sufficient for many local media properties. And his idea was there's an economy of scale and an economy of integration so that if everyone was doing the same thing and there was no geo com- competition, because let's face it, you can't really have two newspapers in a small market, that you could offer really differentiated services to the businesses on Main Street and compete against Amazon and compete against click to buy and buy online, pick up and store. Uh, that promise really never realized itself. We're still doing the same old things. Um, I'd, I'd love your comment on that, Jake. And one la- what it, it occurs to me as I was sitting and remembering that cab ride, one of the things uh, Gordon said at that show and stuck with me all these years is uh, local media companies will find themselves not in one or two businesses, but in 28 little ones. And I wonder if that's <clears throat> come true in the in the 10 years since I've been doing that. You know, I, I I often think about that, um, and I and it, it takes me back to uh, a, uh, a when I was actually going back to that small town in Western North Carolina. I was on a um, I did a leadership uh, program there, and there were, there was a local uh, um, attorney, and they they did a review and they talked about all the things they did, and they they did like. I don't know, two dozen things, 20, 24 different things. And they were average at most of them. Um, And then they realized that there were six things that they were really good at. And they decided to get rid of the other 18 and focus in on those six. It made their business stronger. It strengthened their revenue streams. Um, it made their clientele better. It, it just, it was better for the business and it, and it increased their, uh, the EBITDA. Um, I think that newspapers and TV stations and radio have fooled themselves into thinking that they are better marketers and better aggregators of business than they are because they have hundreds of years in the case of newspapers Uh, dozens of years in the case of TV and radio of this experience where they were the only media in town. Mass media was a thing. It truly, truly was. So they were good at marketing by default. They were good at driving business by default. And now we're trying to recapture that. And we refuse to admit to ourselves that, you know, maybe we're not great marketers. And if instead of dumping you know, vast amounts of time and resources into building websites for people. If we actually focused in on the core thing that we do, we could drive some of these other revenue streams that have a bigger profit margin. You know, online the the incremental cost of delivery zero on a uh, on a subscription model on a website. 
uh, as opposed to if we're selling Facebook advertising to to somebody, our margins like five percent on that. I mean, what what would you rather do? It's so I I think Gordon was right in that we're all selling and we're in a lot more business lines. I just don't think that I don't think it's sustainable. And I don't think it makes sense for most media organizations because it can't scale. You just, it absolutely can't. So you, you, sorry, Rob, go ahead. Go ahead, Dan. I was just going to say, so Jake, you sparked a thought there. Why, and maybe there is, but why isn't there someone out there syndicating truth, right? To make it in a really crass way to say it. Like, you know, the, these, you know, you know, the old school morose of the world that would you go out and like, just, you know, kind of write the great news as it is. And, you know, and I think there is know, that syndicated. So who is that? It's called AP. Yeah. I mean, as AP. truthy as you can get, I mean, there's, there's left and right and all of everything in between, but that's the AP, but the AP Roy- Reuters, Reuters is in there too. Yeah. That I, I would consider that where it's, you know, pretty boring, straight news. Um, and I, how do we how do we glamorize that up? No, I'm just kidding. But like, how, like, but I, I am and I'm not. But but you're right. Like, why am I not thinking of the AP and the and Reuters? You know, in 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 almost kind of Rob, this is kind of I think where you were going before of like that's that being the news and kind of reinforce that being the news versus all the other shenanigans that happen you know around it. Because it goes back to the the incentives. The incentives of television is the same as it is online. It's it's all about um, it's all about eyeballs and clicks and advertising. So it it makes for better television um, if you show the riot as opposed to um, an AP clip that that might you know it, it might not show the riot. It, it's it's going to show something else, something that's more center of the road, however you define it there, that might not be the best example. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's just not as, it's not as sexy to, to the point you made earlier. It's why entertainment news, entertainment news is easy to fund. Like it is, it is so good, but, but to find advertising around a news program that explores the, um, uh, the, the, that explores everyday white supremacy, which was, which was something we put out recently it's very hard because nobody wants to be next to something that has the words white supremacy in it. Even if it's saying we need to do better, we need to improve um, a, a subscriber, a member more than happy to fund that. They're more than yeah. happy to, but you know, um, Johnson and Johnson, they don't want to be anywhere near that. Yeah. Wow. Comrade, comrade Rob. Tovarish. So how do we get around this without, Regulation, right? How do I like, like, what's your, you know, what's your stance on that? I listen, regulation, uh, always you push in the balloon on one side and it pops out on the other. So if you are happy to play a perpetual game of whack-a-mole, then maybe we can regulate. I think though that natural systems are far better at regulating steady states, you know, um, stable conditions. I would love to, like, I, I every time Wikipedia comes up and says I need eight bucks, I pay. Well, why isn't Wikimedia like why isn't that new Wikimedia thing that they're trying to do been successful then? Like is that this is what they're after, right? They're after straight up truthy news, but I don't think that's gone anywhere, has it? No, because I think to to this is like eating your spinach. Mm-hmm. Um you need it, but it sucks. And I think this is, this may be the sort of core problem is info news or entertainment news or whatever is cotton candy or a double, you know, quarter pounder. I'm in a rush. I don't have time to go get spinach and cook it or whatever else. Maybe I'll fool myself and get a can of spinach, but that's even worse because now I have the sense that I'm doing well, but I'm not. This is a tough spot. I think that subscribe, I'm coming to the notion, I, I was harboring it for a while, but I think Jake's convinced me subscriber revenue is the safe way. The challenge is in a glut of info, how do you differentiate a local media channel enough that you can get a mere $12? Because again, to Jake's point, it costs you a penny. There's $11.99 in margin. 
so you don't need the old days of 60,000 print subscribers. You probably need 20 paying you a couple bucks to support a newsroom and the SGNA. Right. But I'm going to throw the market right back at you, right? But the, what, what's the market? I mean, the, the, is, that, is that wanted, right? Because people are only going to buy what they want, right? And so for, from a market perspective, like how do we – this is like the world's greatest innovation challenge right now because it, it's, I, I, get- this, is, this is seriously an innovation challenge. I, I would say, you know, to be honest, I'm not optimistic. Here's why. I buy The Economist. It puts me to sleep, but it's got great info. And it takes me a full week to get through it. That is spinach, like right off the vine. I don't know how many people want that. And, and that is a, that's going to end in a bad spot for society. Well, and then, so then, sorry, Jacob, this is, it should be more about you, but I, no, and then I, the question I have for you is, but it's also, we can come up with different formats. You can still play with the formats. Right. Like the economist. Yes. It's a great magazine. It, you know, it's got great information. It puts us all to sleep, but it's, you know, you know, media, I wouldn't call it long form, but it's like medium formish. You know, this was the, you know, the, you know, we got memes now. Like, can you, can you, you know, you got everything from like the, the forward, you know, cat, cat meme all the way up to the long form article. How do we actually take news? We're still keeping it news, but leverage, you know, like they always talk to you, you want your full length video, your, your two minute video and your 30 second video and your five second video, right? Like fair. Is there such a thing as short form truth in today's day and age? Oh God. I, I almost just made this a very like rated R version of this. So I, <laughs> I'm glad I bit my tongue on it. Good. I don't think there is. Shit's too complicated. You well, can't- no, the earth is, no, come on, come on. Yes, totally. The earth is round. The earth is round. Okay. Four words. Okay, Four fair words. enough, fair enough. I'm not Just- about to write a uh, 2,000 word article about the earth's geometry. I'm, I want to know, <laughs> do we need Obamacare? Joe Biden is won Ob- the election. Is Obamacare a productive thing or not? Well, no, that, but so you, but so you just went into the opinion page. No, I think that there are economic ways to measure things like Obamacare and a 15-hour minimum wage. And you can feel, like do we said it earlier in this podcast, people feel a certain way and they go fetch the, they go fetch news bits to support their vision. So Jake, is there a, what's the place and role of opinion in news? I think that, I think that needs to be, it needs to be clearly, clearly separated. Um, I, I, that is the piece that worries me when, when I was, you know, talking, we were thinking about what we're going to talk about, um, and just thinking about one of the things that always comes to mind when I'm thinking about media, um, opinion versus fact, um, is there are pundits on, on presumably both sides of the aisle who, they will be sued for something they said and they will be taken to court and the judge throws it out, not because of their first amendment rights, not because of that, but because of what they said is so absurd that nobody can believe it. And that's put on, on news stations that's put in newspapers and it's not, it's not set out as, Hey, this is an opinion piece. And I, I think that, and again, goes back to the incentives. Over time, we've we've really blurred those lines to drive clicks, to drive engagement, to drive impressions, to drive advertising revenue. Um, I think there can be an opinion that is based on fact. And I think there can be, you know, news that is based on fact. Um, the, the, those are not mutually exclusive. I just think that and there can be opi- there can be opinion based on non-fact. Yes, exactly. Well, I, I think that's called a lie, though. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, but I, I think no, you're right. But I think like that's what's you know that's what's out that's, there. We're we're along on the form. This is obviously a super interesting topic, and. Couldn't be more timely and, if I, without being dramatic, central to the republic. Like, I really believe that. 
the um but we're long and what i'd love to do jake is uh take get you back i want to think about these things we're going to have some other audience members uh join us and uh dan and i have a fix it wednesday we'll see if we can't figure out a fix um but uh dan do you have any parting shots for jake no, I just I, I appreciate uh, the talent that you've shown over the years of dealing with Rob Page. Um, so and it's been and tough. coming up, and yeah, I know, and coming onto the podcast. But no, this has been fascinating. I think, um, you know, I'm definitely interested in hearing more and exploring more around the just the different kind of monetization models and subscription models of of kind of media. Uh, but I've I've really appreciated your time on the podcast today. Thank you. Yeah, and thank you both for having me. I've uh, really enjoyed it. Yep. Thanks, Jake. Um, Dan said it earlier. We are, and everyone should be grateful for the sacrifices. And I I mean that, right? The chief digital officers particularly could go and make a mountain of money in Silicon Valley. And they're out there, people like Jake working at Connecticut Public, uh, doing good things. So uh, with that, Jake, thank you for showing up. Um, Enjoyed it. We'll have you back. Dan, what are we doing next? Uh, we're going to do our fix it Wednesday. And then we actually have a few folks that um, are lined up. So we're not sure which one's going to be next, um, but we have some great guests uh, coming. Really excited. Awesome. And are we going to get JFK back in the pre-roll as a fixture? Oh, so here is an ask for our listeners. So the idea for the pre-roll is actually to get a bunch of um, quote, like quotes, like <clears throat> let's get quotes from like JFK. Who else has kind of spoken about the art of the possible, that challenge, um, et cetera. So, um, you know, share in, in LinkedIn when you see this or email us at art of the possible podcast at gmail.com, which is a real thing. We now have our Facebook page up. Um, same thing, art of the possible podcast, post your, uh, your quotes and your ideas in there. And we'll, uh, over time build those up and, and put it together in a fun intro. Awesome. Thanks again, Jake. Thanks, Dan. Till next time. Out. And now for a little extra. The podcast is called Silence. We just kind of sit here all day. (laughs) Just hang out. (laughs) But we're thinking artistic thoughts. So it's going to go in in Museum Modern Art. I mean, when beside you think the, around- beside the turd is going to be the the silence podcast. Yeah, when you think of Rob Page and I, you think avant garde, right? I mean, that's yeah. the first thing that comes to mind. It's like two two teenage uh, two teenage <laughs> lovers on the phone with each other. You just sit in silence for hours. Exactly, that's disturbing. <laughs>